0: The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. You know, on Sunday morning when we gather, we do a variety of things. We sing, we pray, we eat a brief meal called the Lord's Supper together. We serve, we give, and we listen. We listen to the words written a very, very long time ago. Currently in this series through Second Timothy, where a letter was written uh, by an older pastor who is, um, he's, he's, Preparing for his own execution. He's in prison. It'll be his last uh, letter that he writes. Uh, It's written in the middle of the first century. And he's writing it, uh, his name's Paul, the Apostle Paul, and he's writing it to his protege and very younger pastor, Timothy. And Timothy, like Paul, is facing opposition from the outside of the church, and he's facing opposition within the church from false teachers and those who are uh, building up controversies and false teachings that aren't consistent with the scriptures. And we read in just these four verses today, but the previous several verses and the next several verses that we'll look at next week are important challenges, challenges to Timothy uh, to know, to remember, and to guard the Scriptures, to know what they say, to live his life and to base his life and his whole ministry based on God's Word. Why does this book, why do these Scriptures, have such a central point in our life? Why would I tell you that the most, the single most, important and influential thing that you can do in your life is the regular and thoughtful study of God's word why do we spend the majority of our time on on Sunday morning as we get together talking about God's word and reading scripture and and teaching what it means why do we again for another two hours in the week get connected in life groups where we then again open up our Bible and read those passages that were preached on Sunday and talk about it for another two hours. It is, it is the most widely produced and sold book in the history of books. But that's not why we do it. It's even more popular than Harry Potter, if you can imagine such a thing. Why is this book so important? Why put so much on the Bible? I'll make a very bold assertion. A bold statement that is a confident belief, and it's actually uh, not my assertion, but the Bible is self-asserting when it says this. It is in this book, and in these scriptures, where we hear the voice of God—not the voice of men who are just really close to God and and were well acquainted with Jesus, but the voice of God Himself. Second Timothy three sixteen in Christian circles is sometimes as as, uh, common or familiar as John 3.16. But its familiarity should not cause us to feel the force of its timeless challenge to us. And so today I want to give three challenges that Paul wants to challenge Timothy with and then I want to challenge you with. Challenges to hear this morning from this passage, to take into your life and to base your whole life on these things. And so go and do these three things. The first one is this, to believe in the God-breathed nature of the Bible. This is what Paul says, that it's breathed out by God, that all of Scripture is breathed out by God. In every age, uh, the authority of the nature of the Bible is questioned and challenged. What really is in this book? How really should we view the Scriptures and the writings that we have uh, that uh, that are in the Bible? And that question is really challenged, and the the authority of it, the supremacy of it, the God-breathed nature of it is always questioned and challenged in, in, in in every generation. This October 31st, in addition to Halloween, uh, Christians all around the world will remember Reformation Day. The day was October 31st, 1517, 499 years ago this month, that is widely regarded as the most significant movement of God's Spirit in the church since the day of the Apostles. And on that day, a man named Martin Luther, at the time an Augustinian monk, he sparked this debate with the Roman Catholic Church that would become known as the Protestant Reformation. And one of the central issues in the Protestant Reformation and in Martin Luther's uh, contention and debate with the church is answering the question, what is this? What do we make of these writings? What, what bearing does this have on our life? And Luther would claim it's absolute supremacy and authority for God's people and the church, not tradition, not cultural shifts, not, not what culture thinks of ethics or morality. There isn't this progressive knowledge that we are gaining, but the Bible is supreme authority for the Christian and for the church. And we see popular Christians, Christian pastors today and leaders that deny the Bible as as the supreme authority for the church. And Paul challenges Timothy. He challenges him to believe that all of scripture is breathed out by God. And this is a unique word, breathed out by God. The word is uh, theonoustos, and it literally means God breathed. <clears throat> Some say that Paul actually uh, coined this word. He made up a word. He added a word into the Greek dictionary because it wasn't we didn't see this word, Theonustus. We didn't see this word anywhere in uh, literature prior to Paul using it here, but we see it um, in more frequently being used in, in later writings. And so we think that uh, Paul coined this word. He made it up to, to describe, adding to the Greek dictionary, describing what we really have in the Word of God. It is the Word of God. It's the voice of God to his people. God has given to his people uh, a witness a witness that continues to speak today, and it is His Word. And when we read and when we speak the Scriptures, we're not just talking about Jesus. You see, we don't get together and say, let's just talk about Him. Let's talk about this man who once lived and these events that once happened. It's actually, we come to the Scriptures, and it's Jesus speaking to us. Not us just talking about Jesus. He is speaking to us. And when the Word of God is preached, and when that preaching squares Rightly, with Scripture, you hear God's voice, and hopefully not just the preachers or the teachers. How much of the Bible is inspired? How much is breathed out by God? Paul says, all Scripture. My pastor, uh, who when I became a new believer, the one that uh, taught me, he, dis- he defined what the word all means in this passage, he said, well, all means all, and that's all all means. He was a very learned man. Not only the portions of Scripture that we trust, not only the ones that, that we are easy to understand, not only the ones that we enjoy obeying, not only the portions of Scripture that fit into our cultural paradigm or ethical or moral understanding. Now you and I know that when Paul is saying all Scripture is, is God breathed and breathed out by God, he's referring to the Old Testament, of course, because he's writing Scripture as, uh, as he's writing it, and he is referring to the Old Testament, the sacred writings. And Paul knew that he was writing Scripture as he was writing it. How amazing is that? As Paul is writing these words down in this letter to Timothy, he knows and he has this understanding, I am, I'm writing to you the words of God. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to you as I speak the, the voice of God. Paul reflects on this when, when he writes to the church in Thessalonica by saying this, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you. So Paul is saying, we're speaking to you. And this isn't the word of man, this is the word of God. And so as Paul is preaching and writing Scripture, he knows that there is something that carries with it this weight of authority and supremacy. Even Peter says this in Second Peter, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what we have in these pages because of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is the very Word of God, the very voice of Jesus speaking to us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? Have you ever found yourself in in particular pain or sorrow or confusion or struggle and have thought to yourself, God, would you just, would you talk to me? Would you make yourself known? Would you speak? If only I could hear your voice then I would know, if only I could hear you speak to me in my time of struggle, then I would believe, and I would know that I'm not alone. And He does, and He is, and He is speaking to us today. The Bible is His present witness to us. The voice of God, He breathes His Spirit into His Word that we might have the breath of God that would give us life in our life as well. You're thinking, didn't men, didn't men write these, didn't men write these words? Didn't men write scripture? I mean, God didn't write this. And I've even had people, have talked with people, and they say, which, you know, that are new to the faith or new to even scripture, and, and, it, and it, they're intrigued by it. They're like, what are these numbers? And, and oh, this is great. So who are these? Who are all these people? And I describe it, and they say, hey, tell me which, which books did Jesus write? It's a pretty good question, isn't it? It's an honest question, and this is actually one of the struggles of, uh, of if you would talk to uh, a Muslim in, in the Islam religion, they say, this is not written by God, this isn't God's word. Men wrote this. So which, did, didn't men read, write this? Well, human writers wrote scripture, but they did not write as robots, nor were they in some sort of spiritual trance just in a daze writing down words but the Holy Spirit working through these human writers as much as 40 writers to pen God's word in its entirety exactly how God intended and yes it does take as I'm even saying this yes it does take faith to even believe a claim like that but here are the options that we have in C.S. Lewis's famous apologetic Mere Christianity, he addresses the self proclaimed uh, witness and claims of Jesus who claimed to be God. We can call him a liar, we can call him a lunatic, or we must call him a Lord and say that he actually is everything that he said he was. And this is really our options that we have with the Bible as well. The same is true throughout the Bible, there are 3,000 instances and phrases of this phrase Thus says the Lord. It isn't a rare occurrence. It actually happens over 3,000 times. And so the Bible, and in its manuscripts all over the place, is saying, This is what God says. This is what God says. This is what God says. And the Old Testament and New Testament writers claim to be writing the authoritative Word of God. There's, it's no small claim to, to say, This is the Word of God. And so we have three options. Those who are saying, Hey, listen up, this is God's Word, He wants to speak to you. They're liars. Mm-hmm. And this is no small lie, no small claims. They're claiming to speak for God, and if they're liars, they shouldn't be listened to. And we say, these men are liars. They're claiming to, to, be, to be speak the mouthpiece of God. They're claiming to speak God's words. What a bunch of liars. That's not true. God doesn't do that. Or these men are lunatics. Not only should they not be listened to, they should be probably, they need help. They need to be cared for. You know how certain people always claim to, uh, to do things in the, in, the, in the name of God? Uh, They do things God told them to do something. Uh, Usually these are not good things, right? These are lunatics. They're crazy. They actually think that they are writing God's word. Or, and this is really the only other option, or these men are telling the truth. They're writing God's word. God is speaking to them. And as as the Bible speaks to us, Jesus himself is speaking to us. And if it is true, then God is speaking to us and these writers are telling the truth. They're saying, then saying the Bible is just a really good book is not an option to consider. Oh, this is a really good book. No, this is a ridiculous book. It's a crazy book. These people are saying they are talking to us from the mouth of God. And so I don't really believe that. I don't believe that this is the word of God, but I, I'm still, it's still really helpful for my life. To put it plainly, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. That's what it means to be God-breathed. And if the Bible is not the voice of God, then following any word of it is foolish. And it is like building your life again on the Harry Potter books, which I know some of you do. It's fiction. But the Bible claims to be the most clear reality that there is, and in which there is no falsehood, in which there is no confusion, no ambiguity, no muddling of the truth. When the word speaks, God speaks. But the word of God is truth, and if His truth is much, much greater than our own understanding. And so, this is what Paul wants to challenge Timothy with. He challenges him to remember that all of Scripture is God breathed. It's breathed out by God. That it's inspired. Some commentators or, or translations say it's inspired. That doesn't mean it's inspiring. It doesn't mean it's just really helpful for your life, it means that it's from God and to to listen to His Word is to listen to God and to disobey His Word is to disobey God. And so here's the other challenge, knowing that, embracing that, believing that, that that when we have the Scriptures, we have Jesus speaking to us today, how should we then approach these words? How should we approach this book? What a great thing that we all have in front of us. We put them, we stack them out at the door, we put them in your, your chair rack in front of you. Everyone has a Bible They're in every hotel room. I mean, this is amazing. How should we approach these words and these writings, these scriptures to us? The second challenge from Paul to Timothy is this, to resist coming to the Bible however you want. If you truly believe that that this is God's word spoken to us, how would you handle it? Consider thinking about, okay, let's say this is really God's word. It is God's witness. He's speaking to us. And that when these words When we read them and the Holy Spirit works in our heart to understand them, it actually brings about resurrection in our life. It actually is the same power that when God speaks into creation and says, let there be light, it goes forward with the same power to bring about a new creation in the life of of sinners. How would we then approach the Bible? Think about this, what's the greatest voice you've ever heard? You know, maybe it's a doctor uh, bringing good news, a good diagnosis. Maybe it's a spouse or a child coming out of surgery and they, and they begin to speak to you. Maybe it's an employer calling you after this coveted job that you prayed for and you desired, and he's calling you to tell you that you got the job. Maybe it's a parent uh, coming home or a spouse from a long trip, or be, after being deployed for several months, and you haven't spoken to this person for several months, and you hear that voice for the first time in a long time. Isn't it true that our ears kind of have taste buds? You know, David, the psalmist, even says this. He says in Psalm 119 and 19, where he's talking about the words of God, he says, the, your words are like, like honey. They're like a sweet honeycomb. It's really interesting. It's like, it's like, what does the color blue sound like? Your words are tasteful. Our ears are supposed to have taste buds as we hear them. It is supposed to be sweet. And so we come to the Bible, we come to the Bible desiring purity. We come expecting Purity that we handle it in a pure way. Pure way means we, we, we handle it uh, unmuddled. We desire to come to it saying, okay, I want to know a real representation of what is going on here. I don't want to come to the Bible in any way that I choose to and, and breathing in all my own words and all my own breath. I want to come to it and say, okay, God, speak to me. Let me know the truth. I'm listening. The Bible claims to be the inerrant word of God, the voice of God in our life without error in all that it claims. And it does not mess up. Now here's the caveat. We may mess up. You see, we may come to the Bible and we may mess up and we add our own commentary and we draw conclusions that might not be there. But it never messes up. And it is always right. You see, every generation of Christians will need to keep asking themselves a very simple question. And it's a question that is asked far too infrequent in our conversations and our counsel to others when they're going through a hard time, in our career choices, and even when we prepare ourselves to get out the door to go to work or to play. And the question is this, and it's not too complicated Is it biblical? Is it biblical? It's easy to come to a passage in Scripture and say, I really love this passage. It's so, it's so encouraging to me. Yes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. I love that Bible passage. And then come to a next, next verse and say, You know, I don't know how I really feel about that. I'll be the judge if that's right for me or not. You see, it seeks. We come to the Bible and then we seek to put our word over God's word. And every Christian is called to keep on learning God's Word. And every preacher is called to teach God's Word in a faithful way, with purity. To know what it says and to not draw our own conclusions, but let the words speak for themselves. And when we, yes, we come to many passages and we say, this is my go-to for encouragement. But I really skip over that chapter altogether because it says things I don't really like or agree with. Consider this: If you met my son and uh, my oldest, my my only son, if you met him and you started talking, uh, how great it was to be with him and to to meet him and to get to know him a little bit. How was it? Ni- how how nice it was to go out with my son and have a get a hamburger lunch and to hear about his first year at the university and and you talk about how you can't believe at how tall he's getting and how he can now dunk on a full-sized rim. I'd be a little puzzled <laughs> by what you're saying because. My son is, is, is uh, five years old and three and a half feet tall, and he hates hamburgers, and it's unlikely that you went out with him. He's ever, uh, rarely ever five, more than five feet away from his mom. I'd be a little confused, and it doesn't matter how passionate you were about your time with my son and your description of him. It wouldn't matter how, uh, how you insisted that you knew him and it truly was him who you spent time with. You're describing someone nowhere near who he actually is. And so it is with God's Word, and we seek purity in God's Word. And and God not only uh, reveals Himself and His character and nature, He he reveals Himself to us so that we can know Him. And so we come to the Word of God, not saying, God, here's how I imagine you to be, but we come saying, God, who are you, so that I can know who you are. You'll see that there's a tremendous amount of grace in the Bible for you as you come to the Scriptures with that. In that way, and ready to learn and to know him. When you affirm what the Bible says about itself and and have hope in what it says, do you see what happens? Paul even says that the Bible challenges God's people to ask themselves this question Will you will you listen to the voice of God or ignore it? He says it's 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 good, it's it's profitable. It's profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and for training and righteousness that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good word. Do you see what God's word intends to do in our life and how it seeks to transform us when we come to it and say, okay, speak to me, teach me how to live and what is true. It is good for teaching. It is like a, a light unto our path. It guides our way for how to live. It is good for reproof. And so if we find ourselves off of that path, it is the God's Word is, is there to, meant to put us back on that path and to correct our steps. It is there for correction. It could tell us how to get back. It could place our feet back on the way of truth. It is good for training in righteousness. God is requiring that you and I, for you and I to consider how we will live our lives in light of His Word. And if you actually believe that these words were Jesus' words to you, then there is this expectation of bringing yourself under these words with humility and a readiness to obey. If this is really God's word, that's the only way that that works. If it's not, then it's like, well, then don't do it. Then don't. Then these guys are liars. They're lunatics. They should not be trusted. Go follow some other teaching, some other worldview. Paul says, In verse 14, continue. But you continue what you have learned and from whom you learned it and stick to the sacred writings, stick to the Old Testament scriptures at the time. And what Paul is saying is, Do you trust me? Have you seen my life? Have you seen how I've mentored you? Do you see what hear what I've taught you? Then trust in my conduct and trust in my teaching. He says, Do you trust your mother? Do you trust your grandmother? Trust in how they've raised you from birth to know the scriptures. Paul is wanting him to remember God's place and teaching in his life. And in saying this, he's not only challenging Timothy to maintain this theological purity of Scripture, but to approach the Scriptures with patience. And that's the next thing. We come to God's Word with, with purity, but we also come with patience. And it's in, in approaching Scripture, I want to encourage you in this way, it's more like we should approach the Scripture more like, like a garden, like planting a garden and, and much less like a vending machine. Okay, fear of failure, B27. $5, well, okay, well, if you need it, you need it. Hey, what's happening? It's not working. So we come to God's Word often looking for these spiritual bits or these moral bits or these historical bits, and we, we, we put our coin in the vending machine, and we read the verse, and we say, okay, do something. Change me in my innermost being. Change my greatest loves. Paul is calling him to be patient, to come to his Word, to come to God's Word, patient. Are you learning something new about the Bible and about God every day? What about every week, every month? Have you learned something new about God this this year? When was the last time you gained insight into the character and mind of God because of your time in God's Word? When was the last time you actually felt that God was speaking to you as you sat down and read His Scriptures? and said, God, I need to remember this. This is who you are. Really, if you're not doing that, are you really ever listening to God speak to you at all? Paul's not telling Timothy to find something trendy to do in ministry. He's not saying, hey, this was my generational thing. We really cared about the Bible, Timothy. But you, like... Times have changed, and, and do something edgy, and do something trendy, and do something so people will listen. And in fact, in the next passage, he even says, a time will come where people will want to listen to whatever you have to say. But don't. Don't be tempted by that. Preach the word. Stick to the scriptures. He's telling him to continue in what he's already been convicted of, which is the same gospel that Paul believed, and Timothy's mother believed, and Timothy's grandmother believed before him. Timothy must hold firmly to the central truth of God's Word and train himself as he learns more and more about who God is. And that leads Paul to his final charge for Timothy, and that is to aim for the Christ-centered purpose of the Bible. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned, which are able, in the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, In Christ Jesus, this is an important sentence, important verse. The Scriptures, in believing in them, will make you and I wise for salvation. Okay, a very important follow-up question is this: Okay, how? Okay, that seems important. You're telling me that the Bible can make me wise for eternal life. How do I get that good? That good in me. How do I do that? How do I get? Understanding, and here is how the Bible does it. Without ever uttering a word of Jesus in the Old Testament, here is how Paul is telling him stick to this, and it will make you wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. Becoming acquainted and understanding and believing what the sacred writings have said up to that point. And here is how it happens: one, it reveals the absolute perfection of God. God is holy, God is perfect, God calls his people to holiness and Timothy would have read and not only read but memorized as Paul has memorized Isaiah 55 the sacred writings Paul memorized and he would have trained Timothy to do the same and he would have remembered Isaiah 55 where God declares to his people for my thoughts are not your thoughts rather are your ways my ways declare neither are your ways my ways for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is saying all throughout the Old Testament, He says, I'm not like you, I'm holy, I'm perfect, I'm, I'm set apart from you. I demand holiness. And also, as He would read the Scriptures again, He would have memorized passages like Jeremiah 17, that says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart, and test the mind, and get every man... A- and give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So the Bible reveals the good, perfect, absolute perfection of God, but it also reveals the absolute imperfection of man and of us. And as Timothy would read the Bible, he would come more and more aware of God's holiness, and he would also become more and more aware of his conviction that he falls short of what God has called him to do. Are you aware of that? As you read the Bible, those two things should happen. As you read, you should say, God, what are you like? And as you read, you will be able to answer, wow, you are, you're holy. There's no error in you. There's no imperfection. God, you're, you're right, and you're good, and, and you're holy. There's no denying that. You're, you're powerful. And, and we would ask the question, well, what does the Bible say about us? And if we were honest, as the Scriptures are honest, we would say, well, we are imperfect, we are forgetful. Uh, our heart is deceitful. It truly is. Uh, we, are misun- we, we fall into error a lot. Our, our emotions mislead us. Our thoughts mislead us. And, and we rebel against God. And we love other things so often much more than God. But as these two things grow in Timothy's mind, what also grows is his appreciation and need for a Savior. They reveal the place of our absolute hope, the hope that is in the gospel. It is in Jesus' righteousness, His sacrifice, His gracious work on the cross for us that we are saved. And here Paul identifies the place in which people find the true Christian experience. Where does a, where does a person find the true Christian experience of what it means to be a Christian? Paul says it is in Christ Jesus. It is the grace of God received by faith in Jesus that becomes the hub of the Christian life. Not our behavior, not our morality, but the perfect righteousness of Jesus. I'll ask you a question that I want you to think about in your own head. And that question is this, what does it mean to be a Christian? And you might have things floating around. The first thing that comes to your mind, it might be things like this. What might come to your mind are all the things that you should do or aim to be in your life. And you have this portrait of a Christian. That Christian is good. That Christian is well-behaved. And that Christian is obedient. And that Christian is a a good good son or daughter or mother or father. A good church attender. a, A person who reads through the scriptures and prays often and gives generously. And here, the location of your salvation, thinking like that, of your Christian identity, is in your record. It's in your character. But here, Paul is saying that the location of our Christian experience and identity is in the record and character of Jesus. Any other aim is a contradiction to the Bible's central message. The Bible is not only great because by reading it, we we see that it teaches us about God. The Bible is great because it actually teaches us about ourselves. It teaches us things about ourselves that we never knew. It reveals our real struggle. And if we have trouble with the Bible and really trusting in the Bible, we really have trouble trusting in Jesus. If you have trouble with the moral ethic or uh, presented in the Bible... The right way to live or the how the wrong way to live and you're thinking i don't know if i agree with that your real struggle is you don't want god telling you how to live and you disagree with him about what is right if you trouble if you struggle with a lack of clarity in certain areas of scripture you really want god to work on your own timing you want god to give you the answers right away and to live at your pace rather than sit and to learn from him in patience if you struggle with trusting in the promises of Scripture to give you peace in your current circumstances, the truth is you really struggle with with trusting in God Himself. The Bible, when we let it, will confront our most elaborate mechanisms of self-salvation and will show us the only way to lasting peace is resting in Jesus above anything else. And if we will let it, it will make us whole, it will bring us tremendous encouragement. It will bring us tremendous clarity and hope no matter what is going on. And that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. He says, if you let it and if you train yourself in it, you'll not only be, you'll, you will not only be wise for salvation, but you will, you will be well equipped for everything that God calls you to. Everything that God calls you to. What has God called you to? Well, I want to be, I want to be a good husband, wife, mother, father, child, citizen, I want to be a hospitable neighbor, I want to be whatever. what is God calling you to be? Where are you going to become wise for those things? Is God's word your supreme authority? Is it your ultimate guide? Is it your clearest path? The Writer of Hebrews says this as in relates to God's word for the word of God is living and active "...sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed in the eyes of whom, to whom we must give account." Reading the Bible in a way that is aimed towards the central purpose of Scripture is meant to see more and more of God's holiness. And more and more of our sin, and because of what of Jesus? What Jesus has done for the cross on uh, on the cross for us, we need not fear how God looks at us. We need not to be afraid of admitting that we are broken and that we are sinners, because our hope is not in our godliness and our perfection, but in His character and His record. And also, our hope is not in that hopefully someday God will compromise His standards and ease up a little bit. On all of these rules. Our hope is not as well. I hope that God isn't as strict with me as He was with the people in the Old Testament. But rather, we rest in Jesus who has become our salvation. He has done everything that, that God has called us to do in His Word, He has taken upon Himself God's punishment for our sin, He has upheld uh, perfect obedience according to the law. And without the gospel that is revealed in the Bible, there is no hope in this life or the next. You truly can't make sense of any suffering in this world without it, without knowing the central message of the gospel that Jesus saves. It's not just to make us better people. It's to make us wise for salvation. There's no real purpose on this earth or no real purpose to our days at all if this is not God's word, if it was just some great stories by men. But since it's everything, we guard it not only in its central aim of Scripture, we guard Scripture in itself as our supreme authority for all of life. It will never lead us astray. It will never lead us to shame. It will make us wise for all that God intends for us. Let's pray.